Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Recap. Each week, we catch you up on the biggest local and state stories that you might have missed. Stories like these. I do not want people to die in my city when there is a life-saving, free, safe vaccine readily available. That makes no sense to me. I don't know how the mayor in good conscience can force this to go forward and risk sending half the police department home and subjecting the citizens of this city to that. Kids as young as five received their first dose of the Pfizer COVID vaccine today in Chicago. Comes less than 24 hours after approval from the CDC. Joining me for those stories and more, Kim Belware, national and breaking news reporter for The Washington Post, and Kelly Bauer, breaking news editor for Block Club Chicago. We're going to start with the COVID news of the week. Uh, Appointments in Chicago are already filling up for kids to receive their newly approved COVID shots. And yesterday, Chicago Public Schools announced that they're canceling school next Friday for what they're calling Vaccine Awareness Day to give families time to give their kids the shot. Kelly, what's the reaction been from parents? Because I know I was shocked when I opened my inbox last night. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was very unexpected for a lot of people. Um, CPS CEO Martinez spoke today and said that they just really want to give people the opportunity to get their kids vaccinated, especially with the holidays coming up. On our latest note, Mayor Lightfoot said that on that Friday, all city workers will also be given two hours of paid leave. That way they can go get their kids vaccinated. Of course, it hasn't gotten the warmest reception from all parents because they're now scrambling to figure out how they are going to get child care for that Friday since it is such short notice. Yeah, absolutely. There are now a total of seven days of scheduled non-attendance in what some parents are calling no school November. Odd that they're canceling school next Friday when school's already closed today. My kids are home right now, hopefully listening. And next Thursday too, right? Yeah, like I said, I think people were just didn't think there was enough notice. Um, there was some speculation that maybe it had to do with staffing shortages with CPS. But the CEO today said that that is not true, that he does not like canceling classes. And Dr. Arwady, the city's health commissioner, emphasized that part of the reason why they want to do it next week is because they're still getting in doses. And officials do expect that we'll have gotten about 100,000 pediatric doses by next Friday, which should hopefully allow them to keep up with the great demand for this. You know, what's interesting, Kelly, is that while CPS is encouraging parents to, to find shots for their kids next week, they didn't actually offer extensive in-school options to get the vaccine. What are the details there? Yeah, so officials announced earlier this week and talked about it a little last week about how kids can get their shots. And the big thing they're emphasizing is go to your pediatrician, go to your main health care provider. CPS itself is only going to open up, I believe, three or four on-site vaccination clinics. Otherwise, they're saying that people should go to events hosted by the health department or see their own doctor, things like that be interesting to see if, if those parents end up having trouble getting appointments. Um, are you hearing any parents who are hesitant to vaccinate their children? Definitely. Um, I've heard from people, even those who are vaccinated themselves, that because it is their child, that they are a little worried about it. Of course, we have seen people rush to get the shot. You know, we already, the morning after it was okayed by the CDC, 
people were lining up at Esperanza Health Center so that their kids could get vaccinated as soon as possible and be nice and protected for the holidays. So it is still a mixed bag. I believe recent polls have shown that uh, one in three say that they'll go get it right away, but that there is a lot of hesitancy. Kim, you had a story this week about the highly contagious Delta variant, which is still a thing. Tell us what you found out. Well, that story is one that uh, was written a long time ago and is just constantly being updated because as the Delta variant changes and as what we know about it changes, we're always trying to, you know, put in that new information. And some of the new things that we understand about it now is that while we knew it was uh, much more contagious and more effective at spreading itself to people, we're also seeing that it's a little more, you know, likely to cause sickness in children. In the, the earlier variant that we saw early in 2020, we saw that kids weren't getting sick as much. And the Delta variant does seem to have a greater likelihood of infecting children and, and, and leading to some illness if they're not able to be vaccinated, which until recently they weren't. Let's turn to another story this week. Federal authorities have launched a criminal investigation into how Loretto Hospital administered COVID vaccines this past spring. Kelly, you broke this story for Block Club Chicago. We had you on the program here on WBEZ. Remind us of the backstory here and give us the latest news. Yes. So this started in March is when Block Club first reported on it. We found out that there had been vaccinations at Trump Tower, which coincidentally is where one of the hospital's top executives lived, Dr. Nashamed. And we then learned that there had also been vaccinations at other places with ties to Dr. Ahmed, like a Gold Coast uh, jewelry store and a luxury uh, steakhouse. So we dug deep into those and we continue to report on it. And of course, the Illinois Attorney General's office has said that it is investigating Loretto. Mayor Lightfoot this year said that there should be an independent investigation into the vaccinations. And now, with our reporting partner, David Jackson, at the Better Government Association, we've been able to reveal that the FBI is investigating Loretto's vaccination program and has issued subpoenas to the Illinois Department of Health. Well, the head of Chicago's Fraternal Order of Police released another video message to his members. He was urging them not to post their vaccine status. Kim, what's the latest on the police union's refusal to comply here? Well, now that a judge has lifted the gag order on John Catanzara, the FOP president, you know, he can say these things now, and his latest guidance to the rank and file is to say, defy the city's order to submit your vaccination status and just bury the city in paperwork. If we get more than a 1,000 officers to do this, there's no way they'll be able to process all of this. And so this is, uh, you know his way of encouraging officers to show resistance even to the mandate. The the vaccine part is still on hold. That's going to go to arbitration now. But the city is still requiring employees to submit their, uh, you know, just what their status even is. And that's what the president's now saying, you know, let's find another way around that. And is hoping that he can uh, play kind of a game of administrative paperwork mm-hmm. and, and, and get around that. Well, this ongoing standoff between Catanzara and Mayor Lightfoot, it's been making national headlines at this point. So what position does this put our mayor in? I mean, it's a tough one. She, you know, has obviously struggled with support from the police, but she also wants to come out looking strong and like she has, you know, the support of city workers and that she can also give the public assurances that, you know, public servants that they interact with might be, you know, vaccinated. You know, there's also an interest, too, in in protecting officers themselves nationwide there's been a lot of uh 
opposition to vaccine mandates among police departments. And COVID has been something that's killed officers at much higher levels than uh, gunshots and other on-the-job injuries. So, you know, there, there's definitely an interest that city leaders have in hoping they can protect their uh, police workforce best they can. The uh, the judge, uh, a judge handed the FOP a partial victory earlier this week, Kim, ruling the city can't fire cops who aren't vaccinated by December 31st. What are the details there? So we're waiting now uh, for arbitration because since these our workers, are, you know, they, they have a union contract. Uh, the judge is saying if we make them get the vaccine and then we later decide differently, there's really nothing that can undo this shot that they got if they didn't want it, you know, if they got it under duress. So they're holding off any uh, mandate, you know, any enforcing that for the officers because they're going to have to figure that out under, you know, the protection from their union contract. And they have until end of December for that. New York City has put thousands of workers on leave without pay for not complying with the vaccine mandate. While here in Chicago, only a few dozen of the thousands of non-compliant workers have been put on leave. So, Kelly, what are your thoughts on, on why Chicago is reluctant to take a harder line on this? I think that there's just been so much public opposition with the FOP in particular. That's really the city department where we've seen the most resistance to complying. And already Mayor Lightfoot has had a very tough political battle when it comes to police. She's kind of been attacked from both sides with officers saying that her reform attempts are damaging the department, damaging morale. And then on the other side from, say, people who want to defund the police department, they say that she almost supports it too much, that she's given them funding instead of sending that to violence prevention measures. So I think it's just hard for her to take that tough line when she's kind of doing this, you know, uh, balancing act between the two sides and trying not to appear too hard or too soft at mm-hmm. risk of alienating more people. All right, Kelly, let's turn to a story involving a disgraced former Chicago police sergeant. Yesterday, a judge tossed out five more felony drug convictions that were tied to Ronald Watts. But there are still 83 men and women who say that they were framed. What's the backstory here? Yes, so uh, Sergeant Watts has been accused of shaking down residents from the time that he was an officer. It is said that he would tell people um, that they had to pay him bribes or else he would pin drug charges on them. And now in the past couple of years, we've seen that the Cook County State's Attorney's Office has been trying to drop cases or overturn cases that were potentially tied to that. And there's been a big effort the last few weeks with these 88 men and women who say that they were framed by Sergeant Watts and they're trying to get these charges overturned or dismissed. So these five cases that were just dropped are just the beginning in what could be a surge of more coming. Wow. Yeah, this could end up being Cook County's largest exoneration ever, right? Yes, it is a massive project and it really underscores just this history we have of people not trusting the police. And, you know, it, it almost ties back to uh, the John Burge days where you just see these corrupt officers or allegedly corrupt officers and how it does change people's opinion of the justice system and leads to very costly instances like this for the county. We're going to turn now to the ongoing scandal involving Chicago lifeguards. Kelly, the Chicago Park District fired three more top officials this week. What's the latest on that? Yes, so there was an investigation that came out. This had been something that was going on for months, and it was BEZ that was really leading the charge on it. 
and the city did an investigation or the park district did and found that there had been failings at a lot of levels here, that officials knew about the abuse that was happening in the lifeguarding program, that they knew that there were young women and girls who were alleging sexual assault and harassment, and that nothing was done or even that there were attempts to cover it up. So we're seeing, um, you know, Superintendent Kelly step down and has now been replaced. And we're also seeing that carry over to other officials within the department. These firings, they come after the release of a 43-page report that accused the lifeguard program of having a frat house-like culture. What was in the report? It was uh, very disturbing. Mayor Lightfoot has said that she was distressed by what was found in it. It said that young lifeguards would be harassed by their superiors, and it was just kind of ignored by many people who knew about it. Wow. Well, Chicago Parks uh, Board President Avis Lavelle is also coming under increased scrutiny. A growing number of aldermen are calling for her resignation. Remind us who she is and what she's saying that she knew about the lifeguard scandal. Yeah, so the Park District is overseen by its Park District Board. And Avis Lavelle is the president of that. So she's sort of like the boss of the bosses there. And at one point, Kim Fox's office was asked to investigate what is happening since there are, you know, sexual assault allegations that have been made. And Avis Lavelle texted Kim Fox shortly after this news asking, can you call me? And given what we've seen with the attempts at covering up here, it's raised questions about was that proper? Could that have impacted an investigation if they did speak? So people have been calling for her to step down or to leave her post. And earlier today at a news conference, Mayor Lightfoot said that she does expect that uh, Mrs. Lavelle will be making an announcement about her position soon. Uh, She also came under criticism this week for texting State's Attorney Kim Fox directly about all of this. Is that right? Yes. So she had texted her shortly after they uh, made the announcement that the state's attorney's office was going to look into these cases and also contribute to an investigation. So that's what raised questions about, you know, was that potentially improper? Could she have done something that would have biased that investigation? Yeah. How did Kim Fox respond? Um, You know, I can't recall off the top of my head, but I, I believe that Kim Fox did not take that call and has said that she's trying to like remain independent with the investigation. Yeah, there's so much going on here. As always, we do want to credit WBEZ's own Dan Mahalopoulos for his great work uncovering this story. That's Kelly Bauer, breaking news editor for Block Club Chicago, and Kim Belware, national and breaking news reporter for The Washington Post. And stick around, plenty more news to cover including these stories. Another legal hurdle for embattled Northwest Side Alderman James Gardner. He's now being sued by a constituent claiming Gardner abused his power and his office to target him. Graphic videos played for the jury today in the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He faces seven charges in the shooting deaths of two men and the wounding of another. Today, a small but loud group of protesters made their way to McDonald's headquarters in the West Loop with a message for the fast food behemoth's CEO. We're outraged today. At issue, text messages from CEO Chris Kemshinsky to Mayor Lori Lightfoot about the parents of Adam Toledo and Jaslyn Adams. Kim, let's start with a story that you've been covering this week, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. The jury was swiftly picked in one day. That's not common, right? Well, this trial, you know, it's estimated to be about a two-week trial. So, you know, one day isn't unheard of, but just given how 
much everybody in Kenosha County has heard about this. There was some expectation that it was going to take longer, but the judge said, no, I'm going to get this done in one day. And he did. Went pretty late, took about 11 hours, but he got through it and ended up from this pool that he winnowed down from about 150 people, uh, ended up with 20 jurors. So there's going to be 12 jurors and eight alternates. That number has already fallen. And uh, we started with 11 women and eight men, um, mostly white, mostly middle-aged. And one of those jurors has already been dismissed. What caused that? Well, yesterday there was a juror who was dismissed after he made a joke, uh, it sounds like, either to a sheriff's deputy or you know, to other jurors about Jacob Blake. He was the 29-year-old black man who was shot by Kenosha police last August. And his shooting is what prompted all of the protests on the night that Kyle Rittenhouse came to Kenosha. And so the juror made this joke that was reported. And later when he was asked about it, he didn't want to repeat the joke in court. So based on that, you know, the judge found that was prejudicial. And the the defense said, you know, really without hearing it, we we don't have the full info. So we're not going to oppose this. Mm -hmm. And he was dismissed. But a second juror was also dismissed today for uh, what sounds like it was a health issue. Well, the judge in this case has been making some national headlines for both rulings and commentary, right? Yeah, Judge Bruce Schroeder has been on the bench for about 50 years. I believe he is the longest-serving judge in Wisconsin Circuit Court. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of attorneys that have appeared in his court. They've argued before him as defense attorneys, as prosecutors. And they say that he, you know, he's tough. They say he's controversial. And they say that he's independent. A lot of them, you know, they said they had a lot of respect for him. They said that he is is pretty interesting. That word came up a lot. Interesting in Hmm. how he makes his legal arguments, but he has made several pretrial hearings that have, you know, emerged as particularly controversial. So how would you overall sum up the first few days of the trial, Kim? It's been very intense. And, you know, we're just seeing how contentious this trial is because, you know, the judge is really, really trying to carefully control for things. You know, Kyle Rittenhouse, as the defendant, has a presumption of innocence, and that is a right that the judge seems to really keenly want to protect, which is why he, you know, is eliminating a lot of some of these, you know, different pieces of evidence that could unfairly prejudice the jury, even if it could help them understand um, the situation a little better. He just thinks that its effect is too prejudicial. We haven't seen things get terribly contentious uh, between the two sides, but, you know, we, we see so much, and this is just a thread throughout this entire case of how one event is read completely different by two opposite sides. We've heard from witnesses who were there with Rittenhouse, and we also heard from one of the witnesses who uh, is included in one of the counts that he faces, which is um, reckless endangerment. So, you know, it's still expected to stay on track, still expected to wrap up by end of next week. But um, it, it's been interesting, intense, and, and kind of tough to see which way it's going to go. Word of the day is interesting, for sure. <laughs> Kelly, it wouldn't be the weekly news recap if we didn't have a local politician in trouble. This week, it's former state representative Luis Arroyo, uh, who pleaded guilty in a bribery case tied to sweepstakes machines. What are the details? Yes, yeah, so this goes back several years. It's alleged that the representative had accepted bribes in exchange for supporting some bills, uh, shoring up support for those bills among other lawmakers, and kind of leaning on people in the governor's office and all throughout state government to make sure these things pass. He faces uh, the possibility of 20 years in prison, right? Yes. Um, so we're still waiting for the exact details of what his sentencing will be. 
His hearing is back for February 18th. And Northwest Side Alderman Jim Gardner is also facing new troubles. A constituent has filed a lawsuit claiming the alderman abused his power to seek revenge on him. Now, this is a story that Block Club Chicago has been on from the very beginning. Right, Kelly? Yes, our reporter Ariel has been all over this um, from the beginning of the alderman's tech scandals to now. She was the one to break this story. So what's the latest here? What she found is that one of uh, the alderman's constituents, James Thaw, is suing him. He says that he protested the alderman several years back for stalling on a development. And text messages show just a few days later, Alderman Gardner was saying that he had dug up James's criminal history and was saying that he was going to release it to a Facebook group, Mm. potentially to embarrass him. Wow. Sticking with you here, Kelly, Senator Dick Durbin has asked federal authorities to investigate a Chicago shelter housing uh, Afghan children. This is something that reporter Melissa Sanchez at ProPublica uncovered. What are the details here? Very disturbing story. Yes. um, Melissa has been sharing how she heard about this. She said that she received a tip that uh, refugee children staying at the Heartland Alliance with the organization in Bronzeville that they have just been struggling, that they had started harming themselves and also harming people around them. She wrote about it in a very disturbing report about what these children were experiencing. The organization has now taken steps to help them, but State Senator Durbin is saying that more needs to be done to make sure that they're protected and getting the help and the support that they need. Wow, and the CEO of Chicago-based McDonald's is also being served a lot of criticism uh, for texts with Mayor Lightfoot, where he was blaming the parents of Adam Toledo and Jaslyn Adams. What are the details there, Kelly? Yeah, so Jaslyn Adams was a seven-year-old girl who was just sitting in her family's car when she was killed, obviously not the intended target in a drive-through lane at McDonald's. It was a drive-by shooting. And, of course, Adam Toledo is the 13-year-old boy who was shot and killed by a Chicago police officer this spring. So in this instance, the CEO of McDonald's texted to Mayor Lightfoot saying that the parents of Jaslyn and Adam had failed those kids. And now that those messages have come out, he's been getting a lot of criticism, especially because we know that those children's parents were actively involved in their lives and were not responsible for their children's death. Mm-hmm. That narrative seemed to come up quite a bit, especially when the uh, the Adam Toledo story first broke. There were workers and, and activists protesting as well outside of McDonald's? Yes. So since this came to light, there was a rally that was held this week in the West Loop outside their headquarters with people saying that he should step down or that he should be forced out because they find his comments very disturbing. And uh, Kim, former Mayor Rahm Emanuel, he's closer to being confirmed as U.S. Ambassador to Japan. What's the latest there? Yeah, so Rahm Emanuel's nomination for the Japanese ambassador passed out of a Senate committee, but not without a little bit of opposition. It came from Democrats. I'm going to have to say this carefully. Senators Jeff Merkley of Oregon and Senator Edward Markey of Massachusetts 
were two of the senators that opposed the nomination, and they cited something that Chicagoans are well familiar with, which is how the mayor or the former mayor handled the Laquan McDonald incident. And they said they took in the input of civil rights leaders and different criminal justice experts and just wanted them to weigh in. Now, this is something that in the full Senate, when his you know nomination now goes for full approval, this is also likely to come up again. So Emanuel's tried to get ahead of this. You know, he has been at this game a long time, and he's now looking to um, make some inroads with Republicans. My colleagues at The Post reported earlier this week that he's, uh, you know, made some efforts to win over Senator Lindsey Graham and some other Republicans because he knows he won't have the full backing from all of the Democrats in the Senate, which is somewhat unusual. You know, usually you don't have a lot of opposition from within the party, uh, with, from within the same party of the president. And in this case, you know, there's a, there's some opposition still likely to go through, but yeah. Emmanuel's getting his bases covered by reaching across the aisle for some support. And so did the two senators explain why they voted no? Yeah, there were aldermen from Chicago who were reaching out, sent open letters to members of the committee that was evaluating his nomination. And and that material does seem to have had a factor. You know, Laquan McDonald, that incident in particular is what came in over and over when they called into question, you know, his decision making and kind of, you know, his ideas on justice. This is a global role. You know, they want whoever this ambassador is to you know, represent the United States well, and it's, you know, troubling to some that uh, how the mayor handled, you know, Laquan McDonald's shooting, you know, makes them think that maybe he's not qualified to do that. Uh, before we go, any stories on your radar for the coming week, Kelly? Yes, uh, of course, always going to keep digging into more Loretto news. Um, this morning, Mayor Lightfoot said that the city has been contacted by investigators and that they are cooperating So, you know, people should keep looking for updates on that. Well, I want to say congratulations uh, to you on being honored as Chicago Journalist of the Year. For folks who aren't aware, you got this honor by uh, the Chicago Journalists Association. So congratulations, Kelly. And uh, Block Club Chicago was also honored as the best online news organization. How does that feel? It is so exciting. Um, I truly love Block Club, the people who I get to work with, and I believe so deeply in our mission about providing news all across the city that people can really connect with, not just, you know, crime coverage or things like that, but really digging deep into communities and the people who are keeping them alive and thriving. Yeah. So it's just exciting to see all my coworkers get that acknowledgement and to know that people value our work. Can I tell you something? You're actually one of the first names I, I really heard of when I first got here earlier this year. I think you were knee deep in the uh, Loretto scandal. And I was like, who's this Kelly Bauer? I got to get to know her. So congratulations. Definitely really, really great honor. Uh, what are you going to be checking out this week, Kim? What's on your radar? For me, it's going to be pretty much all written house all the time, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, expecting a verdict by the end of next week. So it's going to be, uh, you know, continuing to talk to folks in the community. You know, there's a bigger story happening in Kenosha about, you know, unresolved things that's going on with the police department because that's not what's on trial. You know, Rittenhouse is not someone who lived in Kenosha. So for the people who live there, they are still very interested in issues that were raised by last year's protests but still haven't been addressed. Well, that is Kim Belware, national and breaking news reporter for The Washington Post. Also with us, Kelly Bauer, breaking news editor for Block Club Chicago. Have a great weekend. and Thank you both. That's it for the weekly news recap. We had a lot to cover this week. And if you want to dive deep into the stories behind the headlines, 
make sure you hit the subscribe button for this podcast. Then take a few seconds to give us a rating and a review. Doing that helps people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to set your clocks back one hour this weekend. Remember, fall back, spring ahead. Take care. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.